ARE Study Guide Podcast. Welcome to the ARE Study Guide Podcast. Today we are going to talk about soil. I admit, when I first started reading about soil, I was not that enthusiastic, but after a couple days devoted entirely to soil, I have decided that I am actually quite the soil enthusiast. We're going to talk about a lot of great information, and all of the information we cover today is related to the programming and analysis exam. So today we're going to look at geotechnical reports, soil reports, and understanding different soil properties and how they pertain to site development. Geotechnical reports. Almost every construction project that disturbs the site requires a geotechnical report. The engineers will request this report so that they can create a building that can actually be built, stay up, and last. Geotechnical reports consider not just what kind of structure the finished building will need to have, but also construction issues, particularly during excavation, including shoring and dewatering that may need to occur. Borehole drilling. The standard method for analyzing site conditions is to use borehole drilling. With borehole drilling, engineers drill down and take out samples. By taking a few samples across the site, the engineers can understand what the site's soil properties are, and then using this information along with the history of the site and the regional properties which could be seismic or hydrological, they can create a comprehensive geotechnical report that provides recommendations on how to build on the specific site. A geotechnical report will contain information about the testing methods they used, the soil conditions and soil profiles, groundwater conditions, the depth to bedrock, a bore log, and the design recommendations and construction considerations. Geotechnical reports will also often include diagrams showing where the samples were taken with a visual cross-section of the soil profile. Geotechnical reports can be read pretty quickly. In practice, architects should review geotechnical reports and make sure that they verify that the design details of the building match what's in the report because the design recommendations that the geotechnical report gives are based on the properties they assume about the future building. So the architect needs to verify that their assumptions were correct. All right, so now let's talk about soil. Soil is defined as the upper layer of earth composed of organic remains, clay, and rock particles. If you remember in elementary school, they showed us a section cut of the earth and there were layers. Those layers are called soil horizons. The top horizons are organic materials. Below that is topsoil. Below that is subsoil, substratum, and then bedrock. Soil conditions always vary, and that's why it's important to have a soils test to know what you're working with. The soil survey provides general information related to the properties of the soil. Soil surveys contain topographic information, hydrologic properties of the soil, the grain size distribution of the soil, which will influence how the soil will behave, and the depth to bedrock. Let's look at some soils that are great for construction. First, let's talk about bedrock. Bedrock is the deepest layer of soil, and it's defined as unbroken rock that is not on top of any other rock. It's usually the parent material for the rock above it. Bedrock has a great bearing capacity, ranges typically from 4,000 to 12,000 pounds per square foot. Because bedrock is an unbroken solid rock, it has very poor drainage. Bedrock is capable of holding extremely heavy loads. If possible, heavy buildings should tie their foundations into bedrock. When a foundation is built on bedrock, the building settlement will be minimal. When bedrock is cracked or weathered, its bearing capacity is reduced. Gravel. Second to bedrock, we have gravel. Gravel is defined as rock fragments that are three quarters of an inch to three inches in diameter. 
The bearing capacity of gravel is typically 3,000 pounds per square foot. Gravel has good drainage, and gravel, except for shell, is great for foundations. When you're talking about gravel, you define it as fine or coarse. Sand. And the next material that's great for foundations is sand. Sand, when it's compacted, makes a great bearing material. With sand, the settlement occurs immediately, and there's usually minimal long-term settlement. The coarser the sand, the higher the bearing capacity. Fine sands, however, have some risks. Fine sands are capable of liquefying during seismic events or when they are saturated. So some materials that are not ideal or even bad for construction. Boulders and cobble. Boulders. Boulders are rock fragments that are over 10 inches in diameter. Cobbles. Cobbles are 3 inches to 12 inches in diameter. You can use them as a foundation material, but they're very hard to compact and they can cause problems when you're drilling. If there are a lot of boulders and cobbles on a site, they might require blasting, which, if it's even allowed by local ordinances, is very expensive. Clay. Clay. So clay can sometimes work as a bearing material if it's guaranteed that it'll be kept dry. Clay has an unbalanced chemical charge that'll cause it to attract water. Clay is cohesive, plastic, and highly expansive. When it's wet, it acts as a plastic, but when it's dry, it's very stiff. When you're talking about clay, you can classify it as soft, medium, or stiff. The more moisture clay has, the softer it is. The drier it is, the stiffer it is. If you do place a building on clay, it will experience significant settlement. Silt? Silt is stable when dry, but unstable when wet. It swells when frozen, it compresses under weight, and it's poor as a foundation material. Unless the load is very light and the silt is non-elastic, the foundation should be built below the level of silt. Organic materials. And then organic materials are materials that were once alive and you cannot build a foundation on organic materials. Organic soils must be removed and replaced with a material more suitable for foundations. When you remove the organic material, you should ideally move it away to be used later when you go back in to do the landscaping. It just needs to be moved during the construction. Uniform Soil Classification System. Soils are classified according to the Uniform Soil Classification System. This system is a simple way to describe the physical characteristics of soil. In the Uniform Soil Classification System, they have clay, silt, sand, and gravel. And these are abbreviated. Clay is C, silt is M, sand is S, gravel is G, and organic materials are labeled with an O. And then these are combined with other abbreviations or together to describe the soil. So a soil can be defined as having a high liquid limit or a low liquid limit. A high liquid limit means that it has high plasticity and a water content over 50%. A low liquid limit means it has a low plasticity and a water content below 50%. And then you can define a soil as being well graded or poorly graded. The best soil for foundations would be a well-graded gravel. Other soils that are good for foundations are a poorly graded gravel, silty gravel, clayey gravel, and well-graded sand. Soil properties. So now that we have an idea of the big categories of soil, let's look more at soil properties. Cohesion. First, we're gonna talk about cohesion. Cohesion is how well the soil particles stick together. Clay is a very cohesive soil. When you're talking about co cohesive soils, they're described by how soft or hard they are. Non-cohesive soils, you can also call cohesionless soils, are sand and gravel. 
Non-cohesive soils are described by how loose or dense they are. Cohesion comes into play a lot, but one of the ways is with the dewatering on site. During an excavation, dewatering may need to happen based on the level of the groundwater. If the level of groundwater is high, you will probably need to use dewatering methods. The more dewatering required, the more shoring there will need to be, and the more expensive the excavation will cost. When dewatering is required, cohesive soils will usually require pumps at the spot of excavation. Non-cohesive soils will require wells placed outside the area being excavated. Shear strength. The shear strength of soil measures how much shear stress soil can sustain and how able the soil is to resist deformation. The shear strength will tell you how steep a slope can be without needing additional support. Shear strength is determined by the friction and cohesion between the soil particles. Consolidation. Imagine that you had a pile of soil and you pushed your hand into it. The volume would be reduced as you compress it. The same thing happens with a building. This is known as consolidation, or the reduction in volume of soil over time due to an applied building load. It could be any load, but we're talking about buildings. It's interesting. So the reason solidation occurs is because as you apply a load, the water between the soil particles drains down, bringing the soil particles closer together. Coarse-grained soils will drain fast and thus consolidate quicker, whereas fine-grained soils will drain slowly and thus consolidate slower. Bedrock is a consolidated material. Unconsolidated materials are soils at the bottom of water bodies. Under-consolidated soils are materials that have never been exposed to stress. If you build a foundation on an under-consolidated soil, there will be significant settlement both immediately and over time. Over-consolidated soils are soils that have previously encountered a stress greater than the one currently being applied. If you build a foundation on an over-consolidated soil, there will be little settlement both in the short and long term. Desiccation or the drying out of soil can cause soils to become over-consolidated. Settlement is particularly critical in buildings that have sensitive equipment, long utility runs under the building that tie in, and when two or more buildings are connected. Differential settlement is uneven settlement. All buildings will settle. Usually the settlement can vary a quarter of an inch. That's considered tolerable for most buildings. But differential settlement is when it's uneven settlement and you have a big difference in one part of the building, how much it's settling compared to another. This will cause walls to crack, windows to break, and doors to not open. You can use pre-compression and consolidation methods to consolidate the soil before construction to minimize the differential settlement. Soil strength. When weight is applied to a soil, it will deform. A soil strength is measured by its ability to resist deformation. The soil's ability to resist deformation depends on the water content in the soil, the soil's bulk density, the angle of internal friction, and the way in which the load is applied. Bulk density is the weight per volume of a soil. The higher the bulk density, the better the soil is for a foundation. A low bulk density is not good for a foundation. Compaction. Compaction is the densification of soil as a result of reducing the airspace between particles. Soil compaction is defined by its dry density. Porosity. Porosity is how much space is between soil grains. Porosity is a result of the grain size and the consolidation. Permeability. Permeability is the rate at which water moves through the soil. Clay has a high porosity and a low permeability. Types of soil tests. In order to understand how a soil on a particular site will perform, you have to test it. It's impossible to know how the soil will perform without testing it. So let's talk about a few types of soils tests. 
the Atterberg's Limits Test. First, we have the Atterberg's Limits Test. This test is used for fine grain soils. The Atterberg's Limits Test measures the liquid limit and the plastic limit of the soil. The liquid limit is found by applying moisture to a soil and finding the point where the soil begins to flow and no longer holds its shape, or the point it begins to act as a liquid. The plastic limit is done by rolling the soil into long threads and to see when it begins to crumble. If it can be rolled into a thread smaller than three millimeters without crumbling, it's said to have more moisture than its plastic limits. If the soil cracks before it gets to three millimeters, it's said to have less. So we have the liquid limit and the plastic limit, and with those two, we can find the plasticity index. The plasticity index is the range of moisture that will cause a soil to have plastic properties, and it's defined as the liquid limit to the plastic limit. A plasticity index over 15 usually means it's an expansive soil. Clay has a high plasticity index. Silt has a low plasticity index. A plasticity index of zero means the soil is non-plastic and has little or no silt or clay in it. Because again, remember, the Atterberg's Limits Test is only for fine-grained soils. Standard Perchometer Test. And then we have the Standard Perchometer Test. This test gives you the blow count reading. A blow count reading is the number of blows on a hammer it takes to get a tube six inches into the soil. The blow count tells you the soil strength and how capable of it is to stand on its own and how hard it will be to drill through. The Proctor Compaction Test. The Proctor Compaction Test is used for any soil that's engineered for compaction, such as embankments, pavements, and structural fills. The Proctor Compaction Test determines the compaction characteristics of the soil in response to changes in moisture. The test is done by taking a soil sample and adding moisture to it. As you add the moisture, the weight of the soil will increase until it reaches its optimum moisture, at which point the weight of the soil will begin to decrease. A graph is made showing the relationship between the moisture levels in the weight of soil. The curve that forms defines the maximum dry density and the optimum moisture content for the soil. Percolation test. A percolation test is done for leach fields for septic tanks. A septic system will only work if the leach field is sufficiently permeable to absorb the sewage, but not so permeable that it allows the sewage to go to the groundwater before it's been treated. So the percolation test tracks the flow of water through soil. Okay, so those are the primary types of soil tests. Let's just talk about a couple more properties of soils and wrap this up. The bearing capacity of soil. The bearing capacity of soil. The bearing capacity is the maximum capacity that soil can support without yielding or displacement. The bearing capacity is how much the soil can support without failing. The bearing capacity of a soil can be increased by fill, which means you would remove weaker soils and add stronger soils, compaction with rollers, tampers, and rammers, and surcharging. Surcharging is when you apply weight to a soil to accelerate its consolidation before you apply the building load. The ultimate bearing capacity is the maximum intensity that can be applied without shear failure. When someone's talking about the bearing capacity, they're talking about the ultimate bearing capacity usually. The allowable bearing capacity or the design bearing capacity is a little different. You take the ultimate bearing capacity and divide it by a safety factor of two or four, and that gives you the allowable or design bearing capacity. Stabilization is a technique of mixing chemicals into the soil either to control site contamination or to stabilize and strengthen the soil. You can do this with asphalt, cement, lime, or fly ash. Pressure grouting is when you inject cement or other chemicals into the soil. 
Ground freezing is when you artificially cool the soil to freeze it and harden it. Fill is used to raise or level sites. Backfill is used in the space around and below structural elements. The angle of repose is the steepest slope you can make with the soil without it slumping. Sand and gravel have a steeper angle of repose than silt and clay. Okay, so that was soil. I hope it wasn't too boring. I hope you learned some stuff. I hope I didn't confuse you with anything. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email. Um, You can reach me at my website, arestudyguidepodcast.com. And stay tuned. We will dive into brownfields next.